Blog Talk Radio. Okay, hello everyone. This is Don't Let It Go Unheard, the January 10th, 2018 edition, and this is my third attempt at starting the show today. First time, Blog Talk's fault, they disconnected me. Second time, my fault, when I put a new show up, I scheduled it for only 15 minutes. Third time's a charm, here we are. Show title today is Running With Scissors, and as I was explaining before Jean in the chat room was so kind to let me know that I had scheduled a short show. What I was explaining is that today's show is inspired by a blog post by my friend Benjamin. And I was giving the disclaimer that insofar as I get any of his theory wrong, it's my fault. It's not his fault. This is me sort of running with this theory that I found rather insightful and helpful. It's a good way to look at the world. I'm making connections to some of the things that I remember watching, some of these are in the program notes, a book that I've been reading from Mark Manson. I've got a lot of things to connect, of course, Trump, to this theory. And hopefully you'll enjoy my take on the theory, but don't blame Benjamin, blame me if I get something wrong about this. Uh, I've got in the program notes at don'tletitgo.com a link not only to that blog post, but a couple other things that I'd like you to check out. One is my Patreon page, which I finally set up, and I'll have an intro video in a couple days. And then I have my YouTube channel, which is not live streaming yet, but I think I'm going to get the technology right so that by next week I will be live streaming also through YouTube for those people who prefer the YouTube live stream. So I think now I've got all the technology right. People in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, can you tell me that you hear me? I see a number of guests, and guests don't often like to chime in in the chat room, but selfishness, can you hear me over there in the chat room at Blog Talk Radio? How are we doing? And then on Facebook, you can get me. Okay, William says he's got audio on Blog Talk. It sounds really good. The audio over there is superior. There's no doubt about that. And then the question is, am I going to be able to stream that into the phone. Mevo has this feature that says that you can plug in and, you know, feed the audio into Mevo. But when I tried doing it, I was doing a little test before the show and it was a ton of delay and feedback. It was really horrible. So I don't see that I can do that yet. So I'm not going to run with that. Benjamin saying, don't blame Amy, blame me. Not at all. I have, and this is all part of it, right? Which is that if there are things out there available to you in the world because of this wonderful thing called the internet, things like blog posts from friends of yours, that it's not the post's fault that a person runs off and does something that's wrong about it. So I have, it's my responsibility, is it not, to digest the theory and decide whether I think it's good or not and apply it and be responsible for the results. So as I said, especially if I misinterpret the theory, don't blame him, blame me. Don'tletitgo.com, program notes, that's where you can find all the good stuff for today. And I'm going to go ahead and dive in. The blog post is called Chatter of Freedom and you can take from it, I would say, a couple overall messages. But like I said, I'm going to run with this metaphor of the scissors that he brings up. You know, Chatter of Freedom, the title itself, is, you know, talking about this idea that with freedom, there comes a whole lot of messy stuff that might make you uncomfortable. And that is not a bad thing. And then the question is, why are 
people either, you know, uncomfortable with it. I mean, of course, people are always going to be sort of uncomfortable with things that are not familiar with them. But why do they automatically think that something should be done about it? I mean, that's really um, one of the things. And then, of course, what is the thing that they think should be done about it? And that's where this idea of the pendulum that he talks about comes in. But, um, yeah, so the chatter of freedom. There is this chatter of freedom out there. There's a lot of ideas that you're being exposed to. You might get offended. Your feelings might get hurt. All over campus, college campuses in our country, you know, everyone needs psychotherapy because they've been exposed to ideas with which they disagree. And this is the the sort of thing that is, is going on everywhere. And it's a theme in this blog post. It's also a theme in Mark Manson's book, and I'm going to bring that up later. But... Um, Let's go through a little bit in the post. You know, he talks about the fact that in politics, what we've been doing far too often is we're voting for the least worst alternative. And so, so many people were voting for Trump because they thought that that would be better than Hillary. I was glad to say that I wasn't one of the people, although in my mind, I thought, maybe things will be slightly better under Trump than they would be under Hillary Clinton. And that might still end up being the case, but, you know, people are always voting for, or, you know, voting against the worst thing. And the question is, is there really a disaster looming around the corner all the time? Why might you think relatively speaking that there's a disaster looming around the corner all the time? And what happens as a consequence of you believing that there's this disaster looming? What are you susceptible to? What sort of manipulation are you susceptible to? And the kind of manipulation that he talks about that we're susceptible to is we are susceptible to the political parties, the left and the right, the worst of the left and the right, getting us to vote for them on the basis of scaring us as to the horrible outcome that's going to happen if you vote for the other party. Uh, Of course, both the left in the sense of communism and the right in the sense of fascism, they present themselves as the only moral alternative to what is the only true stable equilibrium, the only true moral system in the world, which is capitalism. But both, you've got the fascists and the communists are saying, no, you know, you can't have all of this freedom because either you're not doing your moral duty or all of these horrible things are going to happen or, or both. And so we seem to be swinging back all the time between two different types of totalitarianism. And it is this scissors metaphor that Benjamin brings in towards the end that he uses to explain why we are in this perpetual kind of swinging back and forth from one extreme of the, the pendulum to the other. And you know, in terms of history, it's the communists and the fascists in the 20th century that we can look at for that. Um, now, what is this idea of the the scissors? And it's I've got a you know kind of a printout of this. It's page four or so of where he brings this in, and he says not all transformations in society keep the same pace. And he says he's not getting into an argument, not now, about which leads the way, ideology in terms of what we believe is right, or experience. He says, but in, uh, he says, but nonetheless, our lives, public and private, are full of examples 
where we demand that the one falls in line with the other. The idea is what, you know, what do we expect with respect to a differential that we perceive between what is out in the world and what we believe is right, you know, between the is and the ought, the way things are and the way things ought to be. What is our reaction when we see a differential between these two? And the scissors is this idea that we expect everything that we see out in the world to automatically fall into line, immediately, quietly, quickly it fall into place with what we think the ideal should be. Um, that's this idea of, of the scissors. And um, I was going to say as a side note, he says he's not going to get into an argument about what leads the way ideology or experience. And I say, well, that's good because that's a debate over beer or something. But um, the, the, the one thing I'll say for now is which leads, if you ask the question, which leads the way ideology or experience, I'll say yes. And then we could talk about that. Um, but then, then he goes into, in terms of really kind of fleshing out this idea of the scissors, it's a concept called low frustration tolerance. And it's discussed in the Manson book. So I'm going to bring that up later. It's just a lot of good connections with this, you know, with this insight of, of Benjamin's, which it's, it's been so much fun thinking about it. Um, Benjamin talks about the fact that technology has made our lives so much easier. And in a way, though, this has caused problems for us. He says that we have this tendency to basically think that everything should be easier in our lives in the same exact way that technology has made our lives easier. And he says he feels that the invention that sums this up the best, the tendency that we have to not have, you know, we, the, the tendency towards a low frustration tolerance, that tendency that we have could be summed up in terms of technology in the remote control. The invention of the remote control sums this up best. And with a remote control, what can you do? He says, we can manipulate our immediate environment and our experience with the slightest push of our finger. And he says what he is, you know, is sure that this does, other questions about whether it makes us feel divine, et cetera. He says, well, sure that this does is to habituate us to a relationship of instantaneous control over the conditions formerly governing our lives. And he says, it may be so sweet an experience as to terrify us when we find ourselves deprived. So we experience in this realm of technology. I mean, here I am, right? I'm making mistakes you know, putting this show together and everything in the technology and what it took me about two minutes to restart a whole new live broadcast that's going out over block talk radio. It's not instantaneous. You know, you wish it was a push of one button that could just fix all of it, but it was so fast. Right. And we're used to this level of control over different aspects of our lives. Thanks to technology in this one realm there are so many ways that most of the time we can make things happen, you know, make things happen just like that. And it spoils us. It makes us think that in every aspect of our lives, we should be able to solve problems, get things done just like that. And when we can't, then that frustration that we experience, maybe we experience fear depending on what it is that we're trying to solve that makes us susceptible to manipulation that's as i understand it. this is how i'm understanding it again don't 
blame Benjamin, blame me. Um, so when I read this and I was thinking about this before we even get into politics or anything else, I was reminded of this great, uh, you know, there was a talk show appearance by Louis CK, the comedian, and I dropped the YouTube video into the program notes so you can check out his, you know, little appearance. I forget which late night show it's Conan O'Brien. I believe that he was on with and the title of it. Everyone's probably familiar with it. Everything is amazing and nobody is happy. And he's talking about, in a way, wouldn't it be good if we just went back to pre-capitalism? And I think he, it was like, there's a donkey with pots strapped on the side or something. You know, everything's really primitive. And why is it, he says, because people don't appreciate it. And one of the things he says, and I disagree with, because he says, oh, something like we're the worst generation ever because we don't appreciate all of this stuff. And to me, that comment about, you know, we're the worst generation ever, it, it smacks of what you hear a lot of people talk about that in, in history, you know, every generation says that the kids today are terrible and the world's going to go to hell. Every generation. So you could read, you know, stuff from the 19th century and all the people are talking about, you know, oh, the kids today and the world's going to go to hell. And it, you, it, I think he's doing the same thing. So take that part with a grain of salt. But what is right is that everybody's got sort of this scissors thing where they get a taste of something amazing and then they immediately expect everything to sort of fall in line and give them that amazingness all the time without any problems. It's just supposed to have no challenges and not work at all. So I, I think, um, it's supposed to work all the time, perfectly all the time. I, I think you should watch his video if you've never watched it before. But I'm just going to point out one thing, uh, just one quote from it. He's talking about being on an airplane and how you've got Internet access, high-speed Internet access on an airplane. And he says, you know, he's got his laptop open and he's watching YouTube videos on an airplane. You know, you're thousands of feet or whatever up in the sky and you're on the internet and you're communicating you're watching videos and it's it's beautiful and then on the flight that he was on the they lost internet connection for some reason it, it stopped working and the guy next to him said oh you know this is bull you know and he said you know how is it he says how quickly the world owes him something this guy next to him that he knew existed only 10 seconds ago you know that once this wonderful technology is given to you, suddenly your standard for what you expect is way up here. And people just don't have this sense of, of human fallibility of the fact that, you know, this is, this is new, that the technology is going to get better all the time. I mean, here I was, I was, I'm kind of, I was kind of frustrated that blog talk kicked me off but it's going to happen, right? This is an amazing technology that I can sit in this office and, you know, don't even have to go very far. And I can sit down and broadcast live out to the world. The whole world can watch this on Facebook and everything else. It's amazing. So, yeah, there are going to be glitches sometimes. And then I have to restart the show. And it's, it's a little bit of a hassle. But, you know, we have to kind of keep in mind what it is that we actually have. You know, if you... If you have something amazing and you get that taste of something amazing, 
then you have to be patient as to how to increase the amount of that amazingness in in your life. And you have to have patience for the reality of the process, which is that it takes work and effort to bring amazing things into your life, which is one of the reasons that I put Matt Bayless's marathon song in the program notes toward the end. So people have to think about that. Um, So the Louis C.K., awesome. Check that out. I'm going to talk a little bit later about the Mark Manson book and some ideas that he has in one of his chapters that ties into this as well. well. But let me go ahead. I might as well just start alienating some people now because I'm going to talk about Trump and how does Trump tie into the, the scissors. Let me talk about that. But you know, before I do that, let me go over and see how the comments and everything are doing over at Blog Talk. Isn't the world going to hell? Asks William. You know, in general, and this is one of the things that Benjamin talks about in his post, if you look at all the data about our lives, no, the world is not really going to hell. Now, you could say that politics is going in a hellish direction right now. But I've talked about this on the show now. See, I've got no numbers on my pages, so I have to look and see where. Oh, yeah, here it is about the state of the world. Um, I've talked about this on the show, right? So the the life for human beings on this planet is generally getting better all the time. And there are books that you can read about this, and I can't cite the exact titles now, and I don't need to. I can, I'll do it for you at another time. But life expectancy is getting longer um, and as Benjamin writes in the post, you know, people living in poverty, there's fewer of them every year. Brilliant doctors are managing to cure or give effective treatments for my addition. Uh, more and more diseases. Uh, we've got due process so that now, and I assume he's talking about Brexit, you know, you have this big thing called Brexit. And if you wanted to, you know, exit from the European Union in the past, what would you do? You'd have a war about it or something. And now you just have all these discussions about what the details are going to be. We we have due process. We have civilized discussion now. Um, there are a lot of advances in delivery of, of food so that we can deliver nutritious meals to more and more of the world than we ever have before, et cetera, et cetera. Um, safer, you know, despite what you see on the evening news, you are statistically safer now than any time in the past. And of course, we have the internet and all this wonderfulness where I'm talking to you live in a couple different mediums at the same time. So um, no, you know, the world is not going to hell. Life for human beings is getting better. Politics is going to hell. I would say politics is kind of going to hell right now, and I've got examples to complain about with Trump today. Uh, there's other places in the world where they are also electing people who are more on what we might call the nationalist right axis. So, yeah, politics are. But the other thing that I focus on, that I try to focus on, is what I call the acceleration in politics. So I I would say even in politics, the acceleration is going a little bit in the opposite direction away from that destination of of hell. And it's thanks to the influence, the increasing influence of some of the right ideas. I think Rand's ideas are being increasingly accepted around the world due to the work, yes, of Ayn Rand Institute, of Yaron Brook in particular, I think is doing a great job at spreading the ideas on a, a larger scale than I am. 
Uh, Alex Epstein has done a lot with his writing and his book has gotten a lot of play. There are good ideas having better influence. There's people who are just picking up Ayn Rand's books and reading them. Better politicians out there. I think Ted Cruz is still you know, better than your average politician. And as I've talked about in the past, what's the difference that makes the difference? I think the influence of Rand. He's not an objectivist. He's still a religious conservative. He's still going to disappoint me. I'm still going to complain about him. But he's better. And so, yeah, the world is not going to hell. Life for human beings is still each year getting better. Technology is putting more things, more potential values at our fingertips. And, you know, on all the other axes too, safety and medical and everything else. The danger is that politics are going to keep going in the bad direction and completely you know, kind of reverse that trend that we can't continue to make life better and better if we don't have enough freedom with which to do it. That's, you know, that's really the danger. And so what are we trying to do? We are trying to increase the acceleration toward the acceptance of the right ideas, but there is no substitute for that. There's no substitute for that as today's story of Trump uh, is, is going to tell us. So I'm looking at my notes, but really what I want is my program notes. Let me click over there. Okay, so what was Trump's frustration today? Because Trump has this idea of how the universe should snap into place with his ideals. He thinks, look, there is this arguably illegal, unconstitutional executive order that Obama issued about immigration, and it's got this DACA program and everything else. Whatever Obama did to create DACA is either illegal or unconstitutional or both, according to Trump. And so what does he expect? He expects that he can, by executive order, just get rid of that thing, and that if people challenge his executive order in court, that the courts are just going to automatically snap into place and say, oh, yeah, Trump, you know, you're right. We agree with you. Everything is awesome. And it didn't happen. So New York Times headline today is Trump must keep DACA protections for now, the judge has said. And uh, frankly, you guys, because I was running around preparing for this, I haven't actually looked at this. But when they say he has to keep it for now, I'm guessing this is an interim order, um, an injunction of some kind, right? Because it's not it's not some sort of final ruling it's just an interim injunction is that true says in the middle of intense political fight about the program that shields from deportation young immigrants who are brought illegally to the united states as children a federal judge issued a nationwide injunction yeah late tuesday ordering the trump administration to start the program back up again as far as i understand this would not be a final order So that's one first thing to think about, okay? Because if you're really at a preliminary injunction stage, the standards of review are quite different. Um, You know, is the decision to kill it improper? Is it it a, um, yeah, it says all, all he has to do is he has to maintain the DACA program on a nationwide basis as the legal challenge to the decision goes forward. So this is an interim order. And, the other time that I saw people kind of running, I was going to say run with scissors again, but there's just so many places where I see this happening. Um, well, let me let me explain to you what I mean running with scissors because I'm just going to keep having these connections in my mind and you're not going to know what in the world I'm talking about. So, you know, you have 
this difference that you perceive between what you think should happen and the way that the world is. And you're not happy with it, certainly. You think, it, boy, you know, it should all be here. And there's all kinds of these emotions that you experience and you haven't really thought about when it's realistic or if it's ever realistic to expect those things to connect. And you don't analyze, you don't think about it, you don't figure out what your position should be. You just sort of run with this frustration that you experience. That's why I call running with scissors. So you just kind of run and, you know, go act in the world and start writing blog posts and whatever. Like I said, not this blog. This is a good blog post. Um, But no, but there are people who are writing blog posts about another case that I'll mention in a second where they're doing it on the basis of an injunction ruling. The ruling at the injunction stage, this preliminary injunction stage, it's only, you know, sort of to hold the status quo to make sure that no irreparable harm is done while the legal challenge goes forward. These legal challenges take years to work out sometimes. So imagine that you go ahead and you let Trump's order take effect and you deport all of these productive, peaceful people. Suppose you do that. And then the legal challenge goes forward and it goes through the courts and it takes years and, oh my God, we're all bored. And then finally the ruling happens and they say, oh, Trump was wrong. So sorry we deported all you guys. That would be horrible, right? So what you can imagine, and it would just be rational to have this, is that the standard at the injunction stage would be a pretty low bar. And and you'd say, we don't want horrible, irreparable harm to happen while this legal challenge is going forward. So there is an arguable case of any kind that what Trump did here is unconstitutional, illegal, wrong, in some way that the courts have something to say about. You know, if that's the case, we want to enforce the status quo. We want to hold everything at the status quo and make sure that people's lives aren't harmed. The other place where this came into play recently, and I talked about it on the show before, was in the um, Teavana. So Starbucks wanted to close down all of these Teavana stores, and there was a court case challenging the closing down, saying there's all this harm that's going to be done. I believe that the people who were suing, yeah, I remember this, the people who were suing were the shopping mall owners. So Teavana wanted to close down their store and maybe even comply with the terms of the lease in terms of, you know, paying whatever rent they might do when they close the store down and stuff like that. But I think that the argument from the shopping mall owners was that the traffic that they would lose in their shopping mall because the Teavana store was closed down was going to hurt them too. There's all this damage that they're alleging and they're alleging that Starbucks didn't have a right to do this that they couldn't close down. And a lot of people ran with this. It was an injunction ruling. It was a preliminary injunction. It wasn't a final ruling. It wasn't saying, no, Starbucks can't close their stores. It was, well, there's some kind of case here. Maybe Starbucks can't close their stores, but why don't we just make them keep the stores open while we figure this out? Because once you close the stores, you know, these people are losing their jobs and, You know, if they do close the store, of course, the mall is going to try to get some other store in there. And all these changes will happen while the case is still being decided. 
instead of having that be the case, why don't we make Starbucks, you know, just do this? Now, you might think even that's wrong, but let's see, let's at least be clear about what's happening. So this is an injunction, first of all. This is a preliminary injunction. It doesn't mean that, you know, at the final stage, they're not going to agree with Trump. Maybe once the legal challenge has its chance to go all the way through the different, you know, levels of court appeals and everything else, maybe they're going to end up agreeing with Trump. Trump's going to get his way and he's going to send all these peaceful, productive people back to wherever they came from, because I guess that's what freedom requires, right? Um, I'm sorry, it makes me mad. But um, it doesn't. Make, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, but maybe they'll agree with him eventually. But right now, at this stage, it's logical for them to say, you know, look, there's a case here. And let's not let too much harm be done while the courts are are figuring out. So that's that's the idea. Um, yeah. So that's what happened. And as I said, Trump has this expectation that the courts are just going to agree with him that, you know, Obama's executive order, it was unconstitutional. He shouldn't have been ever creating this program or anything else. And so what did he tweet about this morning? He says, it just shows everyone how broken and unfair our court system is when the opposing side in a case such as DACA always runs to the Ninth Circuit and almost always wins before being reversed by the higher courts. So he's obviously quite frustrated at this. Um, And, you know, there you go. Because for me, when he's out here tweeting at 6, 11 in the morning for him, Oh, 6.11 my time. Yeah, 6.11 my time is still quite early. Sometimes I see his tweet. I haven't even had coffee yet. And I'm thinking, okay, what, you know, what am I going to respond to this guy? And I I come up with something I think is pretty good. Again, before coffee, uh, breaking the judicial branch of a constitutional government based on the principle of individual rights is not a rubber stamp for the executive branch's policies. It's like, Dude, um, you know, the court is actually a check on what you might think you like to do all the time. And my point is, and I'm what, I'm what I'm responding to in the tweet, is he says that the system is broken and unfair. And it's not that the system is broken and unfair. If he has a legitimate argument, and maybe he has a legitimate argument, I happen to hope not in the end, but there's... You know, given our current system, given constitutional doctrine and what power over immigration the Constitution gives to the president and everything else, maybe substantively in terms of the law, he's got a case, right? He should win, maybe. But it doesn't mean that our system is broken and unfair. What it means is is that he disagrees substantively with the judges who are on the Ninth Circuit. And, you know, it's not like just any old person can run to the Ninth Circuit. We have a lot of immigrants, probably a ton of people covered by DACA in the Ninth Circuit. It is an appropriate venue for a case that challenges DACA. Um, You can't just run to a court. Usually there is, you know, we learn in law school about this thing called forum shopping, where people will sort of stretch the limits as to what 
jurisdiction is appropriate for your case. You might go to state court versus federal court is the example that we've talked about in law school a lot. But here, you can't say that the Ninth Circuit is an inappropriate venue for a DACA case. I mean, we have a lot of immigrants here who are covered by the DREAMers, you know, by the DACA program. So that's wrong. Um, And as I said, what he is objecting to really, or what he, you know, should be objecting to is not that our system is broken and unfair, but that the judicial philosophies of the judges on the Ninth Circuit are wrong. And as I said, maybe they are, but you can't get around that by having a temper tantrum because the court doesn't agree with you or or something. Right after I wrote my response to him, Sandra Boynton, I saw her cartoon that she put out there. Sandra is just, she's so much fun. And I have been a fan of hers ever since I first found um, greeting cards of hers in the store. And I've always been kind of big. I like to shop for greeting cards. And there's not always clever pre-printed greeting cards that have exactly the thing that you would like to say, you know, to the recipient. But if there are, I love to grab them. And she used to have these cards. They're probably still in the store in some places. Uh, Things like instead of happy birthday to you, it was hippo birdie to you, you know, you meaning sheep, E-W-E, cute, cute, cute stuff. So I've been a fan for a really long time. I even bought there was like a set of um, of uh, like a sheets, flannel sheets and comforter with her dinosaurs all over it. I mean, just cutest stuff. Had that for the longest time when I was in college and everything. So adorable. And she has, she, she puts out these cartoons to commemorate whatever day it is. So there's always national something or another day that she can make a cartoon about And today it happens to be bittersweet chocolate day, I guess. You know, I I don't know these things. I only know them because of her, because I follow her on Instagram and and now on Twitter too. So (laughs) you've got to look at the cartoon. Just go, just go look at it and imagine what a great laugh she gave me after answering Trump. You know, Trump is frustrated because the court isn't doing, not serving as a rubber stamp the way he expects it to happen. And there's Boynton saying, yeah, here's a judge um, serving as a stop to you, enjoying a piece of bittersweet chocolate. Awesome stuff. Let me go over to the comments. Yeah, people are saying webcam. Oh, no. You know, so hi, Chandler. Um, The way I look at this is I'm sort of like those people who are on Twitch and you are watching them play video games because this is sort of my video game. This is my podcast. That's what you're you're watching me play that play the game that I play, which is doing this podcast. And I have I do have a lot of fun doing it. And if this is going to help get a bigger audience, I feel like I I should be doing it. So. Now, I'm I'm looking at other comments, so give me a, a second here while I'm looking at these comments. And I guess I should be watching them more in real time because I'm not necessarily seeing connection to what it, I just said. It could be that I'm going to lose half of my stream just by talking about Trump, right? I'm sure that could go on as well. But let me 
just run over to a couple other stories that I wanted to give you. On immigration, he is being fairly aggressive. One story that I saw just this morning, I haven't had a chance to look at it, is that there is a new 7-Eleven probe, I guess, as to whether undocumented workers are there. It says immigration agents descended on dozens of 7-Eleven convenience stores before dawn on Wednesday to begin checking on employees' immigration status in what officials described as the largest operation against an employer under Donald Trump's presidency. They targeted about 100 stores nationwide, broadening an investigation that began four years ago with a case against a franchisee on New York's Long Island. The audits could lead to criminal charges or fines over the hiring practices. 21 people suspected of being in the U.S. illegally were arrested. Why? Because the government that's supposed to be protecting us from danger has nothing better to do than to arrest people who are trying to work and make a living. Similar story in the New York Times January 8th headline, Trump administration says that nearly 200,000 Salvadorans must leave. And this story I'd read the other day, nearly 200,000 people from El Salvador who have been allowed to live here for how long? More than a decade. Now they must leave the country. Government officials just said, Yep, I'm glad you've enjoyed living here for 10 years, you know, establishing your career, raising your kids. Some of your kids have been born and their, you know, their whole identity is tied up with being born in the United States and everything. You've bought property here. You have employed people here. Some of the examples that they give in the, or at least one of the examples that they give in here is, you know, somebody who started a company and hired people. But no, just kick them out. And you know why? Why? Because they can. Because according to this technicality in the law, they have something called temporary protected status. The Salvadorans have been allowed to live and work legally here under this program, giving them temporary protected status since 2001. They had these earthquakes, and then I guess they gave them the status. So um, over 200,000 people going to be kicked out not because they are a risk to our rights in any way, shape, or form. It's simply because they can. Why? Because Trump believes he's going to be um, protecting you, the American people, from competition in the workplace. Andrew in the comments says, due process is whatever the government says it is when it comes to immigration law. Jean says she's eating chocolate when I, you know, sort of get comfortable doing this, I might actually eat something while I'm doing the show. Those of you who have heard me on Blog Talk for all this time, you know that sometimes I have, you know, what I usually do is I'll turn the microphone off and then I'll eat a little bit and then turn it back on again. So you have to hear me chewing and stuff like that. So I don't know if I'm going to eat in front of you, but if I was, it was going to be chocolate. It was definitely going to be chocolate. Um, yeah, chocolate goes good with the show. For me, I eat the 90% lint that I put a little, you know, picture of in my Patreon. Oh, I just I just gave away a spoiler. If you go to my Patreon page, the different levels of 
patron that you can be correspond to what I would call, roughly speaking, food groups. And one of them is, of course, chocolate. There's another food group that is buttered coffee. There's another one that is guacamole, another one that is red wine. And then, of course, the one that goes without explanation is bacon. Um, that was kind of fun. So much fun to do that. But the the chocolate that I eat, this 90% lint, is mostly fat and carb. I mean, not, but it's not sugar. It's not mostly sugar. Do I prefer Pat, uh, Patreon or PayPal contributions? Uh, I would, I guess PayPal charges a little less. Patreon, if I had everybody who contributed to me under Patreon, it might be administratively slightly easier or something, but I don't care about that. Really, it's uh, what I did is because some people say that they prefer Patreon, I went ahead and created that page, and it might be a way to increase the audience and increase the number of contributors. Gene saying, since 2001, what's temporary? Yeah, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to go on to this too much, but, um, you know, let's let's connect this whole idea of scissors back to this, right? Because here are people who have elected Trump, and Trump is doing some things to improve the economy, arguably, where he's rolling back certain regulations, maybe cutting certain taxes is going to help the economy. Is it really in the long run or not? We can have that debate. But at least what's happening is people are getting a sense of conditions improving. And what they want, in addition to more jobs being created and their taxes lower and stuff, is they would like to be protected from competition from all these immigrants if they can. And so they would want, you know, not just for all these new jobs to be available, but for it to be easy for them to get those jobs because they don't have to compete with immigrants. Uh, the, The injustice that is being done to peaceful, productive people because of the immigration policy uh, what, what's funny though, and I didn't put it in the program notes, but I should have grabbed it and I was going to grab it yesterday is I saw a headline yesterday that Trump is open to negotiations on immigration that he realizes, and I guess he's prepared to disappoint some of the people who are expecting an immigration policy that's really going to, um, you know, exclude a lot of productive foreigners, I shouldn't put productive in square scare quotes because these are you know productive people who want to come here and earn a living. His base is expecting a really strict immigration policy that's going to keep a whole lot of people out, including a lot of worthwhile people who would you know greatly contribute to our life and economy here. That's their expectation, and he's prepared to disappoint them in order to make a deal. What is the thing that he wants? The thing that he wants is the wall. He wants to say, yeah, I'll make a deal on DACA, but the wall. And I'm sure that one of the reasons that he was so frustrated this morning is that he doesn't have DACA as, you know, a real bargaining chip if you've seen, even at the preliminary injunction stage, right, because it's just this preliminary injunction, once, you know, the, the Democrats see a hint of victory, of you know in in the DACA you know through the courts, then why should they negotiate with Trump about the wall? Why should they provide funding for the wall? So I'm sure that that's why 
you know, disappointed. I'm being asked here in the live stream, speaking of food, do you have a favorite wine? Uh, I do have a favorite red, and it's something I get to blame your own about. It's it's a nice wine. It's called Prisoner. So, um, yeah, one time I was at a party, and he had that wine, and it was wonderful. So that is, that is a favorite. And I actually don't know exactly. I think it's, I don't know if it's a, a red blend or something. Typically, Pinot Noirs I drink a lot of. Not a lot at a time, but that's habitually what I drink. Um, and what else? Uh, William agrees that guacamole is a food group, basically. So that's good. Okay, so Trump's administration and his immigration policy and Trump being frustrated because the court is not just falling in the line and doing what he wants. Uh, I wanted to get into some of the comments that I've received in reaction to my tweet because I think some of the comments that I receive show people doing this thing that I'm calling running with scissors that they have certain expectations that aren't being met in the way that they think it should be. So, you know, overall, the biggest thing that I'm seeing in the comments, the theme that I'm seeing in the comments is that people think that the court, the Ninth Circuit is wrong, substantively, they are wrong. And doesn't this say something about the system being wrong? And I keep pushing back and I keep saying, no, the system is right. We have a system of checks and balances, which includes an independent judiciary. Yes, you can remove judges who are appointed for a lifetime tenure this is the thing that judge kaczynski was maybe going to be facing because of the you know the sexual harassment allegations and stuff that we talked about before there is a process but what i think you do not want is i think you do not want the standard for judges being able to retain their lifetime tenure while they have good behavior however it's put right you don't want that standard to be put up or shut up that, you know, ninth circuit, we're going to remove you, you know, ninth circuit judge, we're going to remove you from your position because you've been overturned too many times by the Supreme court. Now everybody likes to make a joke about the ninth circuit, but would you really want to remove a judge, you know, based on that standard? And I, and I would argue, no, you don't want to remove a judge. You want the courts to, serve as a legitimate check, as a meaningful check on the legislative and also executive branches of our system. Um, People, you know, they they look at the fact that they are unhappy with the substantive rulings. Uh, Joe on Twitter this morning was talking about, well, the courts are approving of all of these horrible socialist policies, you know, regulations and everything else. And so aren't the courts wrong or bad? And yeah, the courts are in a lot of ways wrong. But what is the answer to that? The answer to that is to look at the individual judges underlying philosophy. What is their judicial philosophy? Are they judges who believe in the so-called living constitution that they can make the Constitution say whatever they think it means. Isn't that the problem? And I think it is. I think that is the problem. And that you cannot solve that by 
putting constraints in the system. You're not going to have as your criteria for appointing judges that they have to adhere to a certain judicial philosophy. Um, there may be certain things that you could describe in an objective set of rules as to, you know, what judges do. And they, we, we do that, you know, they have to take an oath to support and uphold the constitution, you know, but what they, what they're going to personally and professionally decide that that means is something that you can't have control over. They have free will. Judges have free will. And as I responded to one commenter and I, I, if I I'd have to go through and dig a lot and make you watch me be quiet for a while and stuff to find out exactly who did it. So my apologies, but I was responding to one person before the show and I was saying, um, what was I saying now? <laughs> my train of thought. Um, you, you, you can't have this idea, you know, that, that you expect judges to, be automatons. Judges have free will, and I didn't say it exactly this way, but I'm, I am getting back to the point. I'm remembering the point. Uh, judges have free will, and judges are susceptible, like all of us are, to absorbing the predominant philosophy that's out there in the culture. There's no system, no freedom-supporting system anyway, right? There's no freedom-supporting system of government that you could devise that could make it the case that judges are going to automatically hold the right judicial philosophy. There just isn't, right? And so my the whole point for me in my response to Trump is that whereas he says the system is broken and unfair because he didn't get his way, the system is not broken and unfair. You might have an argument about the judicial philosophy of the particular judge is wrong. You might. And, you know, let's have a debate about the substance of it. But it's not the system. And I do see it as an example of the scissors. You know, are you running with it or not is, is another thing to talk about. But people have this expectation. You know, we have this great system. And we also have, in large part, thanks to Ayn Rand, an idea, and thanks to our founding fathers, but, you know, Rand modified and, and you know, sort of elaborated on that, the, the ideals that are embodied in the system that the founders gave us, right? We have this ideal of what government should properly do. And when and what it actually does in the world doesn't live up to our expectations, we think, oh, well, you know, there must be something wrong with the system. And I'm really hesitant to blame the system versus the individual people within the system. Uh, you know, go try and impeach a judge if you think they've actually done something wrong. But you, I don't think it would be good for anybody to have a standard for a judge. You know, we'll retain you as long as you toe the line, as long as you aren't overturned too many times. That I, I, I just think that would be wrong, that people's expectations are wrong. There was another place where I said that somebody was running with scissors and it's bugging me a little bit. So let me see if I can find that. And I think it was William. I don't know if William's going to remind me or not. Okay. Scrolling through my page. Follow Don't Let It Go On Her on Facebook if you haven't. You might be here without liking the page. Don't be here without liking the page. Like the page. It's it's not an order. It's a it's a hope. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, here it is. So breaking judicial branch of government, etc. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, so William says many people, especially legal and medical professionals, know perfectly well how dysfunctional the courts are. And I say, sure, that's due to philosophy. And it is. It's due to philosophy. This is a lesson that I learned early on. I think it was from Arlene Mann. I listened to a lecture of hers decades ago where she talked about the fact that the common law system, as great as even the common law is, it's not impervious to corruption from the bad philosophy that's out there that's held by people. No good system that is set up to allow human beings to live lives with each other in society where their rights are respected. No good system like that is going to be impervious to people's bad choices about philosophy, what philosophy they hold. Um, William says, the philosophical position of thinking that those who serve as judges become any more knowledgeable and any less fallible or less biased by donning a black robe. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Who was I telling Oh, yeah. Okay. So William is in this other thread. It's a different thread. I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, William says, if no system is free from bad philosophy, then that system is by definition inherently fundamentally flawed and should have no power. And then I say, no, I, I don't think that that is right because human beings are the ones who are in this system. It is a system for human beings. They always have free will. And I tell him he's running with scissors. Is he really running with scissors? I, no, I don't, I don't think he is. I'll give you you know, sort of my thought of who's, who's running with scissors in a minute, but um, you are dealing with this, I believe, unrealistic expectation that whatever is produced by this great system that we have is going to substantively match up with your expectations. And it, and it can't, it just, it cannot because human beings within the system have free will and, predominant philosophy that's in the culture is quite bad. And so many of the judges are going to be infected with that. And we're going to see those results. It's, it's, it just happens. And so, as I said, maybe Trump has a legitimate complaint, but the complaint is not this is not with the system. It's with the underlying philosophy of the judges. The only thing that he could do about it would be to appoint better judges, but of you know, all the people who are out there who are qualified to be judges today, his perhaps best alternative is a Scalia-type originalist. That might be the best you can expect today. It's not perfect either. It's not perfect either. There's going to be times that those of us who actually know, you know, what the proper function of government is and on, you know, all the different issues substantively, what they should be doing, we're going to be disappointed with a Scalia-type judge at many points along the career. So um, so that's my spiel on, you know, Trump and, and immigrate, uh, uh, excuse me, Trump and immigration and everything else. Let me take a sip of water. I'm avoiding sippy water in front of you guys. It's so sad. Let me get back. Uh, as I said, program notes, you can find them at the blog at don'tletitgo.com. And there's some good stuff in there today. Don't miss the cute little... Sandra Boynton cartoon and everything else. Okay, so before I go on to not Trump, basically, the the thought that occurred to me overall 
is that we got Trump because of people running with scissors. And I'm sure Benjamin had this exact same thought, but I call, I'm calling it running with scissors. So many people in our country were, I think, dismayed and, and in part with good reason because they have this expectation of being constantly safe from certain threats all the time of, as I said, not having to compete with other people for jobs, whatever, you know, sort of expectations that they had that were not being met, what they saw the state of their lives as the state of our country as versus what they think it should be. There's this disparity and in part, the things that they're exposed to on the internet and everything else makes them more susceptible to feeling inadequate and everything else. And this is going to start tying into stuff that Mark Manson talks about in his book, you know, that this connected world that we live in makes us even more susceptible to thinking that our lives are inadequate in some way that it's not acceptable to have life sort of suck sometimes, Um, you know, that, that, it's not always wonderful. You know, everything is not always great vacations and the best time ever and, and all of that. Um, so, you know, there's all these disgruntled Americans. They have in part some legitimate grievances, but they have this expectation that a politician can just make everything better. All you have to do is elect the right president and everything's just going to start falling in line automatically. And that's how we end up with, with Trump, you know, uh, Hillary of course was painted as horrible and she is horrible in, in a lot of ways. And I also, as I said, was thinking Hillary was so corrupt that aren't we in some ways better off if we get a Donald Trump, it's a little bit of a wild card, but who knows? It could be at least a little bit better. So I, I do, I, you know, I think, I think that people having this expectation that the world sort of snap into place with what they are led to believe it should be, that's what was behind the election of Trump. That's what's behind the popularity of some of these, you know, nationalistic leaning political movements and political figures in other areas of the West as well. And it's it's alarming. It is really alarming. And what, you know, Benjamin's blog post is asking you to think about is where do you experience this frustration between the way things are in your life and in the world versus the way that you think, you know, think things ought to be? And are you sort of running with that frustration without really examining it for a reality check? Are you acting on the basis of it, which is what I would be calling, you know, the running with scissors is where you are taking important actions in your life on the basis of feelings that you have of frustration, you know, between these things. And if if you're doing that, if you're right. So I'll give you an example. Actually, let me go, let me go to Manson first and then, then I can give you the, the personal example. I'm I'm not going to be able to go through the whole book today. And in fact, what I've got about 30 minutes left in the show and I don't know if I'm going to go the whole 30 minutes because this is the third time that I started a 90 minute. Well, second time I started a 90 minute segment. It's the third time I intended to start a 90 minute show. Um, so Manson's book, 
The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, named the F book by Dave, who actually is over here. So Dave, this might be, if you want to chime in a little bit, we'll talk about this book more. Um, This might be a time to chime in as to what the book has done for you. There is a chapter in the book. It's chapter three on the Audible version, and and I think it's chapter three in the book version too because he just says chapter three. If he's one of those smart authors where the introduction is baked into chapter one, maybe that's what he has done. But chapter three is called You're Not Special. And he has all of these stories, you know, talking about this attitude of entitlement that people have. And if you're listening to the audible version of the book, about 10 minutes to the end of chapter three, this is um, an insight that Manson shares, I think, which you know, ties right into this theme of, of running with scissors. He says, the easier and more problem-free our lives become, the more we seem to feel entitled for them to get even better. So that this, you know, wonderful technology, including this communication technology that is available to us out there on the internet has raised our expectations in an unrealistic way. And, and, you know, what is his message? His message is that you can't always expect it to be easy to have your problems solved, you know, like this. Um, We are in this amazing time, this amazing age. There's all this amazing technology out there, but you can't expect it to solve all of your problems instantaneously, you, as, you know, Manson's not talking about scissors per se, but it, it, it's the same point. Um, the, it, all this out there gives us a taste of something wonderful. And if we get a taste of something wonderful, we sometimes expect to have that, you know, more of it all the time to make it, you know, that's going to be suddenly this predominant part of our lives. So I'll give you the personal example for me from the last you know, several months or so of my life, I was minding my own business and I was actually starting to do some studying toward a different career path. And this was in May or so. And out of the blue, I get this invitation to appear on Fox News with Tucker Carlson. And it was thanks to my friend Tammy Bruce, who I guest hosted for sometimes, and a great opportunity. And I got to go on there and talk about atheism, really interesting ideas, you know, having to do with, um, yeah, now now I'm going to go blank on the, what I was talking about with atheism, you know, closed-mindedness, right? Whether atheists are more closed-minded than religious people. And I went and I studied and I, you know, went to the studio and, um, you know, they didn't have the makeup artist. I had to put my own makeup on and worry about, I hadn't been on TV. I hadn't been on Fox for 17 years I hadn't been on Fox so you know this is a big thing and I'm on Tucker's show and I go and I do this and I did a good job I did a a nice job and I thought oh this is great and Tucker liked me and you know producers in contact with me and maybe they're going to have me on again in the future and I did get an invitation to be on another Fox show with Steve Hilton and so then here I am thinking well you know I got this taste I'm on Fox and I did well and they liked me and then I got another invite and so maybe I'm just going to have a whole career of this you know just automatically just have it 
and all my blog talk audience will, you know, suddenly become huge. And if I monetize and I put my commercials in there, which I forgot to do today, by the way, I'm going to have to figure out how to integrate all that. This is just too much for today. But, uh, you know, monetize and everything else, then suddenly I'll make an income and I could just do this and do what I love talking to everybody and creating content. I could do this full time suddenly because I got this invitation and, and I did, you know, I, you know, granted I worked to make sure I was prepared and I did my best on the show and I did well on the show. And I think I did well on Steve Hilton's show too, but he didn't like me, but yeah, checkered like me. No, this is not how it works. There are a ton of people who appear on Fox regularly all the time. You don't get paid to go on Fox, by the way, you know, they don't pay you. Um, you can't expect that. You can't expect that suddenly you're going to have this big, huge audience and be able to be paid to do this for a living. Being able to be paid to do something like this for a living, you know, what Dave Rubin does with his time, it's a huge privilege that he worked tremendously hard for. So you can't just have this expectation that, you know, that you're just going to, it's going to snap into place and everything is going to be wonderful. All the stars are going to align, so to speak. It doesn't happen. So that was me. You know, I, I had this, like, oh, it, it's just all going to happen. And no, no, not so fast. You're going to have to, if you want to do this, maybe over time, you know, maybe I can build this. And as I said, I, you know, set up the pet, Patreon page. And pa I want to say Patreon when I see the way it's spelled. It's Patreon as pronounced by the founder of, of the company, Patreon. I set up the page, you know, I'm doing the different things. And I have to be reasonable about it. You know, I get this taste of awesome. And then I have to be reasonable about how much of that awesomeness I can realistically have in my life, giving, you know, given the constraints in the real world and real problems that I have to solve, right? So that's my example. That's my personal example. I assume that if you start thinking about this in your own life, that you can think of examples in your own life where you've been maybe running with scissors. And hopefully that metaphor will be helpful to you. If you see me out there in comment threads, just telling you you're running with scissors, it, sometimes it might be a little bit of a facetious joke, but sometimes, you know, just maybe think about it. And that, that's what I mean if I say running with scissors, that, that you're out there taking significant actions drawing significant conclusions on the basis of the frustration you experience when you perceive the difference between the way things are and the way things you think ought to be for various reasons. You know, it could be just because you've had the taste of this cool thing. It's not necessarily an ideological should, but it's just, you know, when we human beings, when we see something that can make everything safe. We expect everything to be safe or, you know, something that can make everything super entertaining all the time. We expect everything to be super entertaining all the time. Uh, you know, we, we can be healthy by taking one pill or whatever, you know, all the different ways we can have unrealistic expectations once we get a taste of innovation that does actually make our lives better in certain ways or just, you know, other tastes of, of great and awesome things in the world. You can apply it in, in a number of different contexts. Like I said, I had that experience and um, as you can think of things in your own life as well. Hmm. So hopefully that is something that you found helpful. I've got about 22 minutes left on my 
current blog talk radio stream. Maybe people on Facebook are getting sick of listening to me. I Did I see Dave in the thread on Facebook talking about that? I, I do want to say I recommend that book. I do recommend that book. That chapter that I just cited, the, third, the chapter three, which he calls You Are Not Special, he discusses various ways that people feel entitled and why it is that they feel entitled. So it's different hows and whys, and they tell stories and things. And some of those stories you might think, because there's different ways that entitlement type thinking can creep into your consciousness. And some of it is because of this thing that, you know, Benjamin calls the scissors is expectations of how things should be versus how they are. And this feeling that you have of entitlement to have them be so much better, but there's a lot of different types of examples that he gives in there. And I would think that anybody could benefit from listening to at least that chapter alone, but the rest of the book offers a a lot of good value too. Oh, people are liking my segues and stuff. I'm telling you, so the material that I had for today, in in one sense, is just so intimidating because it is kind of a bit, you know, it's a big topic and I'm integrating a lot of things. On the other hand, it's great because it's enough to keep me focused on it versus camera so much and, and everything else. It, it's, it's just such a rich angle on a lot of the issues that I care about. And so it's, it's both good and bad, right? Because it was for me, I was like, what am I doing? The first time I'm doing live stream, I'm trying to do this big topic, but it is what it is. And so I said, okay, may as well, if you're going to go, you're going to go big. This is what I did. Um, Let me get over to, and I'm saying um more too, because I'm more nervous. You notice that, right? When you're more nervous, you say um a lot more. I'm a typical typical show when I'm only on blog talk. It's not too often that I say um to fill space. I've noticed that. What else do I have? Oh, okay. So I brought in this Ayn Rand bot quotation because it integrated as I was going through stuff really kind of just before the show started. And this is how my brain works. You know, I percolate this stuff and different things will integrate into the theme. Rand says that every form of causeless self-doubt, every feeling of inferiority and secret unworthiness is in fact man's hidden dread of his inability to deal with existence. And this is, I would say, the kind of deeper thing that's going on, I think, in some of the behaviors of entitlement and and stuff that people have. Um, The expectations that everything just be made great for them and and stuff like that. Um, The you know, even even if you go and actually, the I think the thing the connection I was thinking of more with respect to Manson and, and this quotation was the part in which he was talking about. There's um, a feeling of entitlement that people have, even if they feel in some way inferior or that they have you know sort of these huge insurmountable insurmountable problems that their huge insurmountable problems that they've decided can't be solved or anything else 
that it makes them in a way feel entitled to a, a status of victimhood and things like that too. And, you know, his chapter title is you're not special, that if you have had certain problems that chances are that everybody else has had these problems and everything else, uh, he doesn't go as deep as this quotation of Rand's, but I think that this this idea of, of some sort of dread that you feel about your inability to deal, to handle your problems, that that is going to make you feel inferior in various ways. And it could be manifested on a lot more superficial level, you know, dissatisfaction with what you see in the world, not meeting your expectations, but that entitlement it's at root it could have that cause i'm not a psychologist but to me you know that that resonated and it seemed to tie in the theme uh other attempts out there to scare you make you feel upset talk about chocolate i might as well bring this story in in the last several minutes or so of the show Experts say that chocolate could be impossible to produce by the year 2020. Yes, chocolate might be impossible to produce by the year 2020. So you all should now be very scared, especially Jean. Jean said that she's eating chocolate during my show. Uh, Oh, actually not 2020, excuse me, 2050, 2050. They're getting you alarmed about that. Maybe they don't think you'll believe that chocolate would be impossible to produce by 2020 because it's not that far away. But what is it that's going to make chocolate impossible to produce? It's going to be climate change. And so they're saying that, and I I would go in the article and click on it and read parts of it to you, but I'm going to have to go off the top of my head. Why? Because when you go on that article, don't even click on that. I put it in the program notes. You can go read it if you want. But the website is so full of ads and the way that they pop up is so insidious. You just don't, you don't want to go there. Uh, It was Fox LA, local LA, I follow them on on Twitter and got this story. But So they're saying that climate change is going to make it impossible to grow chocolate in the areas that they're currently growing, you know, because it'll change half a degree temperature, whatever. And so therefore, no chocolate. And so therefore, you should be worried. You should, you know, elect the first politician who says, that he's going to solve climate change like that by making a law about it, right? About a law banning fossil fuels or whatever. You got to elect that guy because otherwise you're not going to have chocolate. I mean, we have lint 90% chocolate, which is just wonderful. And you expect that that chocolate's going to just go on forever. It's going to be available to you every day for the rest of your life. You can enjoy this luscious chocolate, right? But they're saying no way Um, impossible to produce by 2050. You should be scared and you should go out. You should just run out to the polls now and just mindlessly pull the lever for the first politician that promises to eradicate catastrophic global warming or climate change or whatever you want to call it this week, just do that because the chocolate will be gone. The chocolate is just going to be gone. Um, And then if you refuse to, if you say, Hey, I I like fossil fuels, they kind of make my life easier. There's some cool things that I get to do with fossil fuels that make me happy. Then they would say to you, why do you hate chocolate? That's what they would say to you. Yeah. 
a um, little bit of free market competition out there. It, it's funny. We've got a pro and a con story on Amazon Pro. Walmart is taking a – well, I, I, see, I see this as a pro in a certain way. Let me explain why I see it as pro. Here's my brain, right? Uh, the headline is, Walmart is taking a direct shot at Amazon and making checkout lanes obsolete. And it's all about there's these new apps that you can have in phones that you can serve as your own cashier. You can go through the store and shop for your item and use your phone to scan the item, you know, the little barcode on the item. And then at the end, after you've scanned all the things that you want, you press pay and you pay. And then there's somebody who will look at your little, you know, phone generated receipt and compare it to the stuff you have in your cart as you walk out the door. And then you just go, you never go to a cash register. This is awesome. Um, Example of the scissors though, right? I I posted this on Facebook and somebody says, Oh, well you still have to wait in line for that person to compare your receipt to what's in the cart or whatever. Okay, so you want them to not worry about shoplifting, whatever. You know, maybe in the future there's going to be technology that all the cameras in the store are going to watch you all the time, and then they're going to instantaneously compare it with the receipt that's on your phone, and there doesn't need to be a person there, and you can just walk out. Maybe that'll happen, but it's not happening now. I mean, they're making your life easier, and then suddenly you expect it to be, like, effortless, that you can just walk out. No, sometimes they want to look and make sure you're not shoplifting. Um. Anyway, so, you know, the app, does the app allow you to change your mind and delete an item? Yeah, apparently it does. So there's that kind of stuff. Um, Why is this pro-Amazon? Okay, so in my mind, the reason this is pro-Amazon is because Trump in particular, but that means probably other people in government too, they criticize Amazon as having too much market power. They're too rich. Every so often there's just these comments, you know, about Amazon. It's just too successful, too rich. And here's an example of technology in the free market making it possible to compete with Amazon to make it harder for Amazon to be the market-dominating force that it is. So that's how I think it's pro-Amazon. Look, government, you don't need to intervene. There is technology. There is competition that is going to make other retailers able to compete with Amazon. Now, here's the anti-Amazon. And i got to hurry because actually my phone – well, I can plug my phone in. I'm sorry. Um, I'm plugging my phone in now because it needs power. Hopefully it doesn't mess up anything for you guys. Okay, we're good. Um, I didn't want to be racing against the clock except for the blog talk clock. A sip of water. Mm. So uh, the, the anti-Amazon story is this. Thanks to Johnny Lee for sending it along. Amazon turns over record amount of customer data to U.S. law enforcement. This is disappointing. Amazon has turned over a record amount of customer data to the U.S. government in the first half of last year in response to demands by law enforcement. The retail and cloud giant quietly posted its latest transparency report on December 29th without notice as it has with previous reports, detailing the latest figures for the first six months of 2017. It focuses solely on Amazon Web Services cloud business, and it revealed 1,936 different requests between January and June, which was a rise from the previous reports, 
1,618 subpoenas, of which the company fully complied with 42%. 229 search warrants, they fully complied with 44%. 89 of other court orders, they fully complied with 52%. We don't know why there was a spike in requests, and they declined to comment at Amazon. Um, They had confirmed that they had 75 requests from the outside and the blah, blah. Now, here's the thing, you know, statistics, right? This is, for me, when I look at this, I say, okay, this is like you saying that, uh, you know, blacks are arrested more often or something. I need to know the substance of the other underlying case. So if in these different cases, like suppose the 42% that Amazon complied with of the subpoenas, suppose those 42% that they complied with were cases in which the government had provided them with the equivalent of probable cause and particularized suspicion like you would have for a warrant. We don't know based on this little write-up here. They did. Okay, fine. I have no problem with that. What I would want to know, I mean, yeah, maybe the government's going to request more stuff all the time because the government is just spoiled and they think you should be able to have any information at the tip of their fingers whenever they want it. So yeah, the government will ask for more. My question is, when did Amazon comply? When did they comply with the request? If they complied only when they were presented with what they would get with a proper warrant, then I think that's great. I I don't have a problem. So the mere statistics don't mean anything. What you know, we don't know. We don't know that standard that they use. And but and what we do know is that the standard of proof for the subpoenas is lower than what it would be for the warrant. It's something significantly less than probable cause and particularized suspicion. Um, do I have in my mind an example of the scissors because I've put the theory out there that I expect to solve this whole problem and the courts haven't adopted it yet. No, I don't think I have that actually with that. I I have in my mind uh, this secret hope that one of the Supreme Court justices in Carpenter will have run across my article, the article that I published in the um, St. John Law Review. It's called Third Party Bathwater is the short version of the title. But in that article, I talked about how the court could make all of this data subject to the warrant requirement again. I'm not going to belabor that here. Anybody who wants to go read that article that I wrote, I wrote a short opinion piece. It's over at the objective standard. It's um, Carpenter versus United States, the Supreme Court's opportunity to legalize privacy. Go ahead and read it. And in there, I have a link to the St. John Law Review article. Yeah, there's there's a solution there. I've got a few pieces of music there at the end of the program. Now, what I like to do sometimes is just introduce some new music to you or just share a piece of music that maybe ties into the theme of the show. Uh, sometimes what I'm doing is I'm, um, you know, sort of just recommending a new artist or things like that. In here, you've got a couple things. Fade Outlines is that song that discusses the idea of fear, the the danger of fear undermining all the kind of great connections that people make with each other and stuff. So 
you're out there in the world, you're interacting with your friends, both in real life and on online and everything else. And kind of fear about the world not being as safe as for whatever reason you expect. There's, there's two things I think going on with people being fearful. One is that they actually think it's more dangerous than it is. And we are often allowing ourselves to believe that based on what we see on the news and everything else. And one of the uh, interesting points that Benjamin makes in his blog post is that the so-called alternative media, you might think that the purpose of the alternative media or a good purpose, a good purpose for the alternative media would be to make us feel better about the state of the world because the mainstream media already does its share of making us feel real unsafe and crappy about the state of the world. Wouldn't it be nice if the alternative media did some job at remediating that? And it doesn't. Uh, A lot of times what the alternative media sources are doing is making us even more frightened. You know, I stopped going to Drudge Report, for example, because of the sensationalism. Alex Jones is known for doing a whole bunch of sensational things uh, that, you know, just make you scared. Um, Am I still streaming live? I just got something happened to me on the the Mevo. Hopefully it didn't get cut off. I'm going to be watching here. Um, Who was it? There was a politician... I'm blanking on his name right now, but there was a politician who I was following and his page on Facebook would constantly put out these kind of doom and gloom, fear inducing stories. There's a whole lot of these outlets and they get you to click on things. You know, Benjamin makes our point. They get you to click on things by scaring you. People, you know, they value their lives and, and all the other things that are dear to them. And they don't like to see those things threatened. And if they perceive threats to them and, you know, if if the Internet presents you with things that are threatening you, maybe you'll click on it. Uh, That's an unfortunate thing. So so that's one thing. You know, do you have this sense that the world is more dangerous, fraught with peril than it really is? And then even if you, you know, have a good sense of how safe things are. Maybe you have this unrealistic demand that all the risks in the world be eradicated. And that's one of the things that is behind a lot of medical malpractice suits. I think that's one of the things that uh, Benjamin mentions in the, the blog post. A lot of people expect doctors to just be omnipotent and omniscient and never, ever make mistakes. Why? Because they have seen stories about miraculous cures. Um, you know, you women expect that all of their childbirths always go completely 100% smoothly with no kinks whatsoever. If there's ever any problem, then you blame it on the doctor, that sort of stuff. So it's out there. The kind of fear that you have, because sometimes there are terrorist attacks, right? Um, This kind of fear will maybe cause you to, to run with scissors. That's why I put fade outlines in there. The, the idea of, of fear destroying, you know, if you act on fear, how it can destroy everything that we built up. And you could draw it, you know, sort of more broadly, our wonderful constitutional system. It's flawed in certain ways, but let's go ahead and correct those ways that it's flawed. 
don't, you know, sort of criticize the system unfairly because of fear. Uh, another that I put in there was Matt Bayless's new song, Marathon. There's a lot of good stuff in there just about this idea that if you're going to bring your reality, your world in line with your expectations, it's not just going to be automatic. Um, you know, it, it, it's a marathon. So don't have this idea of, you know, scissors where you get this taste of something wonderful and then everything's just going to fall into place. You have to be willing to go through the hard work and experience the disappointments and that life is sometimes going to suck and you just keep going on great lyrics in there, Matt, um, catchy tune. As I was posting out there as part of the pre-show dance party today was, was Matt's song. So I've got less than a minute on blog talk. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody now. Thank you for tuning in for my first live stream. I'm sorry for all the technical glitches at the beginning of it, but I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to, to continuing this. I, I think, like I said, I'm, I still get a bit self-conscious about it if I have the moment to think about it, but thanks to the good content I had today. I was more absorbed in the content than anything else. So thanks everybody. Take care. I don't know which I'm going to end first. I guess I'll end blog talk first and then live stream. So here I go on blog talk. I click end episode.